invited him to come and dwell. He's here. He's here. And so, Lord, as we reach out to you today and we draw you close, we want to pray that you'll come and reveal yourself afresh to us this morning. Reveal an aspect of your nature, of your character to us, Father, that will draw us closer to you, our Daddy. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Bless your name. Bless your name. Bless your name. Maybe you can just reach out in thankfulness to him and thank him. I've just had such a gratitude for my salvation this week. Just been expressing just about every day. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for that incredible gift of your presence. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bless your name, Lord. Bless your name. Before you sit down, just make sure you know who you're sitting in front of, behind, next to, so that we can have a great time of interaction with one another and with the Lord. Would you say blessed by the ladies? It was wonderful having and thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. It's wonderful to see the worship team grow and the Lord adding. Thank you, Lord. Won't you turn to somebody and say, I'm glad I'm here? Because I'm sitting next to you. I'm glad I'm here because the Lord's going to drop truth in my heart that will help me to be victorious in Him. He's an awesome God. I've been, I've been living on a diet. If I get a bit emotional today, please forgive me. I don't want to make apologies for it because I, I've got a, such a passion that I've never, I, I cannot in my Christian walk with God recall an intensity that I've got now to see God in His fullness. Honestly, I've just got such a hunger for more of Him. I've got a hunger in my heart for Him for more and more. I've been brought up in a Christian home. I've been brought up on a diet of religion. And I'm sick and tired of it. I want to see Jesus. I've seen Him. I've had glimpses of Him that has brought me to a place of more excitement in Him. And so I just want to pursue Him more and more. Um, and at where I'm at now in life, I say, Lord, whatever it costs, honestly, I've got nothing to protect, nothing to God. I want more. If it costs me everything I've got, every cent, every penny, every bit of my business, I want more of Him. I want to see the sick healed, the blind sight restored because the Lord has promised us. And my diet lately has been on, yesterday I spent the day looking um, at the revival in China. Because I want to see what's happening around the world. God's blessing humankind, mankind. He's blessing us with His presence. And I don't want to be left out. Churches gather in China and the Lord heals spontaneously throughout crowds of three, 4,000 that gather. And they gather outside because they've got no buildings. And the Lord heals. 
This one missionary went in, and, and there were 3,000 people gathered, and he was surprised at the size of the crowd. And they said, but this is part of the church. The church is 300,000. I mean, it's amazing what God is doing. And the healings that come out of it is just phenomenal. This, they, this missionary went there and asked, won't you please preach for us? And he said it, it, was, it was in a room this time, and he was, he was backed up against the wall, and he was preaching, he said, because they had to get more people in. And they were all standing because they didn't have room to sit. So he was backed up against the wall. He started preaching. The service started at 8.30. I'm just getting my times right. 8.30, and he started preaching. And I said, when do you stop? He said, they said, 7 o'clock tonight. And he preached the whole day. When are the people getting tired? He was concerned for the people that they're standing for like 13 hours. He went, when did they get tired? He said, no, 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 preach. We want to hear. And so the next day he went home. The next day um, he said to them, when would you like me to be? They said, can you come at 8.30? Until when? They said, 7 o'clock at night. He stood preaching three days. Three full days. He said, and when, in the first day when he looked and at the congregation, he suddenly realized that the reason that they're asking him is because none of them have got Bibles. He said he started from Genesis. He went right through to the book of Revelation because they'd never heard it before. And God just comes and presences himself amongst them with such power as they, as they gather. I don't know about you, but I get so excited and I get so frustrated with News 24 and Daily Maverick and whatever you might call it when I'm going to look at it in contrast to the bad news that we're so subject to. God's got good news for us constantly that he wants to bless us with his presence. There's a guy who's, um, uh, I forget his name right now, but his life mission is to try and document some of the things that God's doing around the world, just to encourage the Christians. In other words, I think he's trying to write a modern-day book of Acts, yeah. what, what God is doing, but in, in video form. And um, he says he was with this one chap, I think he's American, with this one chap, and this chap, he was walking along, uh, and, and, and this, he was saying to this guy, I wish I could see like you see. I just wish I could, because this guy speaks about Jesus as if he's here. I just wish I could experience him like you experience, see him like you see him. So he said, you can. So he said, hold your hands over your eyes. This is the chap making the video. So he held his hands over his eyes. And he said, exactly like Elisha prayed for Gehazi, his servant. He said, Lord, I want to pray that you'll enable him to see. He said, when he took his hands away, he couldn't believe he was standing in the same place. He said, it was like, it was like sparkles of light all around him. There was, there was like mist that was coming in from the one side. And he said, and what's that? What's, he said, that's God's presence. That's his glory. That's what it looks like. And so it, for him, he said, and, and this chap asked him, he said, how did, you, how did it affect your life? He said, spoilt forever. My DNA has changed. I can never go back to where I was. That's what I'm longing for. So I'm, I'm longing for the presence of God, his life-transforming presence, to come and help us to spread his, make his name famous. We can't do it in our own great abilities. There's an end to our abilities, but there's no end in him. And so, in our frailty, 
I want, I want us to reach out to him and expect to see him in his true glory. There's an account I want, to, want us to read together in uh, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. Now, the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in, sorry, 2 Kings 6, verse 8. I will set up my camp in such and such a place. Now, this is the king of Aram. He was at war with Israel. And after conferring with his officers, they're having a caucus on the one side. And conferring with them, he says, I'm going to do it like this. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel. Says Elisha, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on that place indicated by the man of God. Time and, a t time, and time again, Elisha warned the king, king so that he was on guard in such places. So in other words, he was telling him, don't go there, they're waiting for you. Don't go there, they're waiting for you. He was the intelligence officer. He became the intelligence officer for the Israel, Israeli um, army. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? I love that. <laughs> I love that. None of us. My lord the king, said his officers, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king says, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army of horses with chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant said. Don't be afraid, the prophet says to him. It's most probably Gehazi, but there's debate as to whether it is Gehazi or not. The prophet answered, those who are with us are more than those who are against us. The more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down towards him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, Lord, strike those people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria. <laughs> Left, led the enemy right into the, into the throne room, as it were. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so that they may see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and there they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill men you've captured with your own sword and bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away, and they returned to their master. So the bands of Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. God had a solution. 
Let's just go and do a few points, salient points that come out of, of this. They went by night and surrounded the city. They went by night and surrounded the city. In other words, there was, there was, Elisha was in danger. So they said, we're going to get him. We're going to get him. We're going to send our spies out and we're going to get him. So they surround the city. Have you ever felt surrounded by turmoil, sadness, despair? Have you, ever, have you ever felt that way? Do you know that our enemy does exactly the same? He wants to isolate us so that he can surround us with misery. He can surround us with dejection so that, so that we haven't got hope anymore. And sometimes we find ourselves in that place, and it's so important that we understand how to get out of it so that we don't die in our misery and in despair. The Lord's got an answer for us. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant answered. That was his cry of despair. Lord, I've just been given a, the diagnosis of whatever it might be, cancer, or what must I do? What must I do? Must I get, must I get chemo? Must I do this? Must I, I've, I've just had some bad accounts. My money is getting less. The months are getting more. What must I do? It's not matching up anymore. And when we look at the situation, sometimes that despair gets so heavy that we find ourselves not being able to respond like God is alive even. Can you agree? Sometimes the despair kind of wants to overtake us. And we sit and enjoy the misery because we get some attention in the misery. In fact, sometimes we even get tunes that we can sing in the misery to ourselves. I'm in trouble once again. This always happens to me. And this, this misery kind of seems to accompany us because we feel surrounded and we don't see a way out. Elisha's response is quite, is quite good. He says, to, he says to Gehazi, and I mean this, <laughs> this response in where they're at is kind of trite. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Come on, man. Don't be scared. When that kind of message comes on someone else's faith, what does it do to our faith? It makes us feel worse. When someone says, you shouldn't be feeling like this. You know, you're a, you're a son and a daughter of the Most High God. You shouldn't be feeling like this. Do you know who he is? And it makes you feel even more miserable. When someone says, don't be afraid, it's almost like they're standing on a podium saying, you could... Come on, listen, man. You don't know who God is. You see, until we get a personal revelation of what He looks like, until we can see His size, until we can touch His glory, sometimes it's just makes things worse for us. I don't know. That's what happens with me. Unless I wake up in the morning and I meditate on who He is, and I meditate on His power, I meditate on His majesty, I meditate on His love, and I meditate on His kindness, and all of a sudden I find that the perspective of my problem starts to change. Because it's not a News 24 perspective, or a Daily Maverick perspective, or a Report perspective. You know what I'm saying? 
I'm kind of getting to the place where I say, burn those things. But I want them away from my phone, from my, from my computer. I want to meditate. I want to I see what God is doing so that I can look at my problems and say, far more for us than against us. We've got far more. Listen, God is weighted on our side. When he plays bowls, you know bowls have got, a, you put it down, it doesn't matter what you do, it bends. He bends his favor towards us constantly. Constantly. If we get his perspective. If we know his goodness, if we can submerse ourselves in who he really, really is. Oh Lord, open his eyes. Open his eyes so that he can see. I must confess that that's my predominant prayer right now for me. Lord, please, I want to see. I want to see, Lord. I'm getting glimpses. I'm getting glimpses. But I want to see. I want to I be able to walk into his glory constantly. I want to be able to, to live in his presence constantly. I want, I want my weight, my life to be biased towards him constantly. I want to see. You see, because when our eyes are opened, what happens is the enemy gets shrinks in size. And then the thing that we're facing becomes insignificant and small. I've said to myself often as I've struggled through, through, through issues, I said, you know, all he can do to me is promote me to heaven early. That's all he can do. Honestly, he's, he's got no other weapons in his arsenal. And I, I want to feel happy while I'm living up to that time, while I'm moving to that time. So at least let me get the right perspective because the worst he can do, the worst he can do is promote me. Isn't that great? He's got no other tricks in his, in his bow, in his quiver. Lord, open our eyes. Being filled with the Holy Spirit and moving with the Holy Spirit has been a subject of enormous controversy in the church largely. I remember when I got born again and speaking about foundations or going back to basics. And believe me, this is one of the basic steps for us in the kingdom of God, is coming in tune with the Holy Spirit. It's not extraordinary. God hasn't got extraordinary gifts that he doles out in China and some in South Africa and lesser ones here and there. It's the same. It's the same. And it's been one of the most the process of being born again, every single one of the stages has brought huge controversy in the church, and we'll touch on it just now. John Wesley says this, as you must, must probably gathered by now, one of my heroes. John Wesley struggled with his prophetic observation of the future church. So in other words, John Wesley moved incredible miracles in England, and uh, uh, Jonathan Edwards at the same time as well, Miracles were pouring out of their lives. John Wesley had an amazing uh, life, amazing testimony, but so did Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, I said, the, 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 he was actually a better preacher, and he was, there was more miracles coming out of his life than was uh, with uh, John Wesley at the time. 
but they were, they were very good buddies. They were buddies at varsity and so on. So they were taking England together. And John Wesley, when he saw what was happening, he saw the life that was coming out of the presence of God, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. John Wesley said this. Wesley not only grasped the spiritual climate of his own day, he was also a keen student of church history. He was fully aware of how different movements had started in revival, but eventually degenerated into lifeless formalism and ritualism. His understanding of these matters prompted John Wesley to write this personally. He said, I'm not afraid of the people called Methodists. Now, he was the founder of the whole Methodist movement, Methodist church movement. And at this stage, it wasn't a church. It was just a, a, a movement, a revival movement that was taking root in England at this time. He said, I'm not afraid that the people called Methodists should ever cease to exist, either in Europe or America. He said, I'm not doing this to make this movement great or my name great. So I'm not afraid that they'll ever not exist. He said, but I am afraid, lest they should only exist as a dead sect, having the form of religion without the power. And this undoubtedly will be the case, unless they hold fast both the doctrine, spirit, and discipline for which they were first set out. Wesley's prophetic concern was not just valid for his own followers, but a vital admonition to every movement that is birthed in the power of God's Spirit. Even Jesus mentioned the potential of the mighty first century church in Ephesus, losing its lampstand in Revelations 2 verse 5. As a church, once aflame with the power of God's Spirit, can lose its influence, it has happened repeatedly throughout church history. Go through the form. Go through the rituals. Let's not look at the Methodist church. It happens in the hearts of just about every person on the face of this earth. So it's not them. We need to be careful that we don't become complacent with second rate, with going through the things. I want to stay hungry. I've asked the Lord for one thing today. I'm going to pray it for over us just now. I've said, Lord, I want to pray that you will enable us Enable us as we gather together to shake, a, have a celestial salt shaker that you can shake over us, that you can drench us with heaps of salt so that when we emerge from that, there's a, a thirst for you that can only be quenched by you. Only be quenched by you. What is the growth path and the normal growth path? And why, why do we um, kind of get lulled into a sense of complacency? It's repentance. Turning from sin. Salvation and repentance. Turning from sin. I can remember when I first got born again, one of the discussions in the bottom of the mine, where I was in the mine with a group of 10 people having lunch in a circle. I would say to them, I became con conscious, are you telling us I'm a sinner? Are you telling me I'm a sinner? I don't know. Let it judge your heart. I remember sitting in a, in a minister's, uh, it wasn't a fraternal, it was actually a conference of the local gathering where one of the pastors had a, had, had a drink problem. Are you telling me, stood up in the meeting, angry, because the guys were saying to him, he's got to sort his life out. Angry. Are you telling me? It only got settled when I stood up and I said to him, 
You judge yourself. What do you say? Let, let the Spirit of God judge you now. As you're standing there, what do you say? See, repentance, sometimes it comes, it comes with the, the, the issue of repentance is that God enables us to see how fraught we are. And when we can all see how fraught we are, God can do something. While I'm hiding it, while I'm putting on a good face, it can, nothing can happen. Salvation and being born again. I remember in my early years of ministry, being born again was a, a swear word. <laughs> Are you telling me I, I need to be born again? I've been serving God for 30 years. Actually, yes, we have to get born again. It doesn't matter where we are. Got to be born again. Baptism in water. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. Spiritual gifts. All of these have been contentious issues. And as the discussion has taken place, it's been because of the discussion in the church that we've got lukewarm. It's not that we're being executed or persecuted, <laughs> persecuted from the outside. We're being persecuted from within, usually. I just say that the only response to it is a great measure of love and grace. There's nothing else that will help us. A great measure of love and grace as we live our lives more and more and more for the King. Let's be like Jesus. Let's put our arms around the prostitutes. Let's put our arms around the sinners. Let's lift those that are hungry and thirsty, those that need the manifestation of the king in their lives. It doesn't matter who they are. Let's put our arms around them and show them how much Jesus loves them. I went to a Baptist-based Bible school, uh, Rosebank Union, and for the first time I walked into a doctrine there that I didn't know at all at that time. The doctrine was called cessationism. And when I first saw it, I battled with the, the idea of cessationism. And basically what cessation, <coughs> cessationism says, it says, we can't fully understand the spirit world, so we will only understand what we can work out intellectually. That's what it really means. It means that in the disciples' time, there were miracles and stuff was taking place. I can't fully understand them, so let me replace it with a doctrine that is understandable so that I can understand at least this doctrine. And honestly, in my 40, 50 years of serving God, I understand him less and less. Honestly. I understand. I can't, I can't understand why some mornings I wake up and I, and I want to jump over the moon because of his joy. I can't understand why sometimes I look at something and I break out into tears because of my sadness, or think about it, or meditate on it, and, and pray. I can't understand God. I know that I want to be connected to Him, but I don't want to even try and understand Him. I want to see Him, and I want to hear Him. I want to be like Jesus, and I want to do what the Father tells me to do. As simple as that. And so I steer clear from cessationists. I identify them in bookstores, book and I, I don't look at their YouTubes. John MacArthur is a no-no in my, in my world because he's a, he's a very outspoken cessationist. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go and 
go, let the doctrines kind of start to dilute my excitement for the miracle working power of Jesus. I've got enough miracles. I've seen enough. I was saved by a miracle. I've got enough to give me the passion for more. And so I don't want to understand exactly what's happening. I want to move into more in my walk with God. Speaking in tongues, another foundation. How We, we can't understand what's happening. I can remember the first time I stood and I, all of a sudden I felt uh, something starting to bubble up within me. And it just came out. I didn't understand it. And to this day when I speak in tongues, I can't understand it. But what I do know is in the morning when I get up and I'm feeling down and I pray in tongues for half an hour, I'm starting to feel the presence of God. That's what I do know. I know it because I know it because I know it. And I know that when I do that, which is not understood with a rational mind, but with my spirit. And the Bible says when I pray with my spirit and I can pray with my mind, I can pray with both. And so I do pray with both. But I allow my spirit to lead my mind. I don't allow my mind to drag my spirit down into the gutter with all the rationalization that takes place in our walk with God. Joel prophesied in his book, I think it's the third chapter, second chapter or third chapter. He said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I will pour out my spirit. I don't know about you, but I look for a funnel. I look for one this size when I hear that. I want to be under the spout where the glory comes out. <laughs> That's where I want to be. That's where I want to be. I want to be where, where he's busy. The New Testament church was birthed in the era of the Holy Spirit. It was birthed right in the, Jesus breathed life into them. They went up into a building and they received like tongues of fire came on them and they broke out of that room and the world changed. A few people and the whole world changed. Us down here in George, in America, in the North Pole, the South Pole, wherever across the world, the world changed because the Holy Spirit came and like a tongues of fire settled on them and they broke out of the room. The the Acts church was birthed in the power of the Holy Spirit. There was healing, deliverance. Dead were being raised. Handkerchiefs that were being prayed for were put on sick people and they got better. Can you imagine that? Shadows were healing people. The shadows of people passing over sick people. People were lining their sick up in the street. Hopefully that somebody would walk past. And their shadow would pass over them and heal them. God's physical, uh, physical graphic judgment on lying put the church in terror when Ananias and Sapphira were killed because they were lying to the New Testament church. Sorry, they were just promoted at that moment suddenly. Demons were driven out from people's lives because the Holy Spirit was there. But that soon became established in religion, intellectualism, humanism, materialism, started to overtake the church. 
And one of the greatest events that led to the church's demise when the church became a universal church through Constantine, where it became a state church. You had to belong, you had to be a Christian in order to enjoy the fruits of the society of that, of that time. Ima I mean, imagine going, being entitled to a house and saying you can have the house if you serve Jesus. So it was, yeah, I'll serve him. I'll serve him. Why? Not because I'm convicted of my sin, but because I want to get a house. And so the temperature of the church slowly and slowly got colder and colder. Let's get thirsty for God. Let's get thirsty for him. Matthew 7 verse 7 says, ask, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and him who knocks, the door will be opened. He will be found if we ask, seek, and knock. It's not just, it's not just, hey, let's just get together. He's there for those who've got a hunger and a thirst for him. Matthew 6 verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things that we run after every day will be given to us. So Father, I want to pray, even as we gathered here, won't you just open your hearts now? I want to pray, Father, by your <laughs> spirit, won't you just come with that celestial salt shaker and sprinkle our hearts afresh with a passion and a desire for you. Father, a passion that can only be satisfied by you. Father, I want to pray that every one of us who's gathered here this morning will become frustrated with the same old, same old. We don't want to just go through the motions of life and the motions of serving you. We want to, Father, we want a manifestation of you, your glory, and your presence among us. We get frustrated too, Father, when we pray for people and they're not healed and we can't see. We want to ask, Father, that you will open our eyes and help us to see. Help us to see you. Open our ears, Father, and help us to hear you by your Spirit. Holy Spirit, we make ourselves available to you. We want to ask, Lord, that our hearts, as they've been plowed over and as fertile soil, we want to pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll come and speak the words of our Master into a fertile field. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And Father, while we're praying, we want to pray for every one of these. Let's, let's extend our faith to our friends. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for salvation. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for healing, Father, for every person whose name is in here. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you intervene in their lives. And Father, I want to thank you for the thankfulness that is pouring out of this jar and filling the thankful one in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Anybody sick? Anybody